That is awesome. I loved worship this morning. I, I feel like it exampled something of what I wanted to speak on. And it's, uh, I just, I, I don't know if you guys can, there's moments in worship, sometimes we, and I, I've, been, I've been a worship leader for many years, but sometimes you go through the songs and then sometimes you feel like you've just hit something in God. And I feel that's where we started and that's where we're going to end today's meeting. So we're carrying on the vision series and uh, the, the title of this message is A People Who Worship. And uh, now obviously we do worship with our whole lives. Everything I do is worship. I'm either pointing towards God or pointing away from God, but everything I do is worship to Him. But I want to talk specifically today around what it means to worship and sing with words and with song. Because it's, it's such a powerful thing. It's a, it's, for me, it's one of the most powerful, it has been one of the most powerful things in my lives. That prayer and worship is, is the place that we get to seek the Father. And like Ramsey's saying, we sing these songs not as like a, a warm-up to the preach, but that is the main point. If we go look at worship in heaven is a priority. It's, uh, the, the, the elders are, are continually day and night, night and day, bowing down, putting down their crowns. They were given crowns and they bow down and they give it to Jesus. And they keep doing this to the king. There's, there's, there's this moment of, of worship in heaven where we're going to be so undone by who he is. And I remember someone saying that, why doesn't Jesus manifest himself fully when we worship? And, it's, and this, this, I think it was Bill Johnson said that the reason is, is that if he manifested himself, we'd, we'd involuntary worship. There's nothing we can do. If Jesus walked in that back door, and we know God is with us by his spirit, but if Jesus physically walked into that back door, we would be flat on our faces because of the glory of God. And I think there's worship that happens this side of eternity that builds something that side of eternity and builds something into our future. So worship is powerful. We, 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 we worship a God we cannot see. We can see the effects of him in our lives and in the lives of others, but we cannot see him, but we worship him. And God is, he's like, it's commendable from God that by faith we are worshiping this king we cannot see. And I just... Stahl and I went for a little walk yesterday, and we were just talking about, she just mentioned something about just the fire of God, and I feel like as we start to grasp this thing of worship and what it means to worship Jesus, there's going to be a fire that's going to be stirred in our hearts, and uh, Danny came and spoke to me earlier, and she had this amazing prophetic picture of uh, these horses that were aflame, and as we started to, to worship, these horses just went out like fire from city lights. And I, I just, I think if we, if we understand and we grasp the concept of what it means to worship, we're going to see God do some incredible things. There's, um, we're a singing people. Amen. It's a, it's a strange thing to sing. It's not like you go to a TED talk and you have a little bit of singing before and then the guy talks. I mean, this, this thing of singing is sometimes uh, for people who come into church, they're like, I don't mind the talking, but I don't get the singing. Because it's, it's foreign, and then you see the guy next to you, or girl, raise their hands, and then you see someone jumping, and you're like, what's happening here? This is, for those of you who've come to church maybe for the first time, or this is your first kind of experience of it, you're like, this is not normal. <laughs> it's not. We, to those who have been part of a community, that's, okay, this is what we do. And I think we need to go to newer levels and higher levels in God. But I, I think once we understand and we grasp what it means to worship, you're going to see a freedom that is going to be set into your life that's going to absolutely change everything about you. It started in the Hebrew culture. 
the, uh, we went to uh, the Holy Land a few years ago, and we were walking in Jerusalem, and uh, they were having a, some kind of celebration. I think it was a bar mitzvah of one of the dudes, and uh, they just start dancing and singing. And uh, it was so uh, linked with the Hebrew culture where it actually they set a way of doing music that we still follow today, which is just an absolutely incredible thing. A histor- historian, Theodore Berg, not that that means anything to you guys, uh, they were just talking about uh, the Old Testament, and if you had to step into that culture, it says, if we were able to step into the biblical period, we'd find a culture filled with, with music, where people use music in their daily lives. Now, we do listen to stuff on the radio now, but it was almost like music and life was one in the Israel culture. And even if you read the Bible, it has a lot to do with music and poetry. And we cannot be so uh, cerebral and like just all about the mind and all about theology that we miss that actually a lot of the Bible is about poetry. A lot of the Bible is about singing. A lot of the Bible is about expressing in song. I think song and worship music is, is, a, is a way, is an, almost like an emotive way of expressing our love to Jesus. It's different to say, God, I love you, and like, or sing, God, I love you. There's, there's something different about it. If you look at the early church, there were incredible uh, hymns that they used to sing, but I love this in Colossians 3.15. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to be one body, first thing, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you, uh, so dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's what worship looked like in the New Testament. Now, I, I love that the, that the New Testament is not specific on how we should worship because the way our minds work, especially our Western minds, is that we go and we pick up the Bible and we're like, cool, there's my to-do list. And I love that the Bible just says, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So sing the Psalms. There were hymns that were written, which is the songs of the day, and spiritual songs, which is those moments where, where we had a little bit of it today, where it's just there's a bit of music playing, and Tara or Ramsey will start singing a song. This, this is a biblical thing to do, and as we start to do that, we sing and we get into the spirit. And there's a powerful thing that, that happens. There's an exchange from heaven to earth as we start to worship him. We, we should never get stuck on the how, we should get stuck on the who. We get enamored with Jesus, and he wants us to express excellently and creatively who he is. Now, it's not just for this worship team. The reason why we try to be as excellent as possible as a worship team is to facilitate worship for you on a Friday morning. There's something powerful about a Friday morning coming together and worshiping. It's very important in in the church. And if I look at most churches that are that are kind of on the forefront of what God is doing today. Hillsong, Bethel, uh, these are just incredible moves of God that, are, that history books are going to write about in our generation. I mean, I just saw Hillsong release that they're literally planting the church in every corner of, this, of the world, which is incredible. There's millions of people to be saved. And one of the, one of the leaders put on Instagram, it goes, Hillsong is now going to Mars, which I thought was quite funny. But apparently uh, the UAE wants to build something on Mars. I don't know if you guys saw that, and it, was, it wasn't even a fake thing, which is cool. Um, so Acts 15, such a key verse about worship, and this was, uh, came out of Amos 9, and then uh, kind of re-quoted by, I think it's James in the, in, in the New Testament, it says, after this, 
I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It's ruins I will rebuild and I'll restore it. So there's, what it means by David's tent is that there was this moment in the Old Testament where David obviously becomes king and he starts to make worship central in the place of Israel. I've, just, I've got a few things. They had 4,000 worshipers that were on the payroll over 33 years that literally just used to praise and worship and pray 24-7. And there's an incredible blessing that came upon Israel because of that. And if we're saying God's going to restore something of that in our day, and we're starting to see that, there's incredible movements. It's why we have worship, and why worship is actually elevated to an incredible point, because it's, it's, the, it's the rebuilding of what David had in his heart, and that is a place of worship where the nations will come in. And it says, and that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. If we learn to make worship central, we're going to see God do incredible stuff in our lives, and that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. It's been the thing that has, that has saved me from moments of disappointment, where I could have been upset with God, I could have been upset with my situation, but you have to learn how to worship in those moments, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later. Who's, who knows Justin Welby? Archbishop What's it called? Archbishop of Canterbury. He is, he is basically the top dog bishop of England, am I right? And, uh, he, and I think in the past there's been like many kind of obviously great men, but many religious men. This guy, Stala and I had the privilege of being under his ministry last year. And he is a man that is filled with the Spirit and he is on fire for Jesus. And he, he wrote an article recently, and he says there's a bizarre and incredible move of the Spirit that is happening. And they started these kingdom come nights through HTB, which is Holy Trinity Brompton, where Alpha Core started. And it's now spread across the whole of the UK. And it's just nights of worship and prayer. And it's almost like God spoke to Justin Welby. He says, I don't care how you pray, but pray and worship until you start to see evangelism start to break out over England. And that's, an, and, uh, that's one of um, the guys, the, uh, Nicky Gumbel's vision is to re-evangelize England. And uh, they expected 5,000 people across England to join up last year. There were 100,000 people that joined up. For me, when I start to hear stuff like that, despite what is happening in England, despite what is happening in the world, when people start to worship and seek our Father, we're going to start to see His kingdom come on earth. It's what Rams are saying. Is the moment, it's as simple as seeking. It's not complicated. And um, Andre and myself went to uh, a, a worship training last year, and they did one of these kingdom come nights, and it was amazing. And we're going to do some stuff where it's just a lying space for God to move, and you start to pray, start to pray over the nation. And it was just this powerful, powerful moment. And can you imagine a whole nation starts doing that. Thousands of Anglican churches dotted all around the country start to worship and exalt Jesus. You're going to see, start to see revival like we've never seen before. There's a, a guy called Pete Gregg. He started the 24-7 prayer movement. With that is, he goes into areas, sets up prayer, kind of contemplative spaces where, where they have 24-7 prayer. And out of those places, there's churches that are being planted. The, there's like this automatic transfer that as you start to seek God, worship Him, find His face, there's effect that starts to happen on the earth. There's the AHOP, which has been going, I think, nonstop worship for many years, it's probably possibly around 20 years, 
possibly more. I know it's definitely around that. But non-stop worship. There was a group called the Moravians uh, that happened, I think, in about the 1700s. And these guys had non-stop prayer and worship where they started to an absolute, I think it was 100 years non-stop prayer meeting. And from that place, they were just launching our people into the nations. And I think if we as a church grasp something of that, that, it's, that we come here on a Friday, yes, for the word. And the word changes us and molds us. But I think since the Reformation, the, 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 the sermon has been central. But if you look at the early church and you look at Israel, the presence of God was central. And also as a community, can we camp around his presence and what he's doing in the moment as opposed to what is the latest teaching that's coming out of America or the UK? Because it's about what God's doing and what us following his voice. John 4, can we turn there please? John 4 verse 21. There's this moment Jesus goes into Samaria And this is one of these intentional moves of Jesus. He was going from one place to another. He could have gone around, but he intentionally went through Samaria. Now, Samaria uh, was, they believed kind of in a bit of the Old Testament, but they added a bit of their own stuff. They believed, where the Jews believed that you worshipped in Jerusalem. They believed that you worshipped on Mount Gerizim, which is, and they, they kind of almost took the Bible and then like just shifted the truth a little bit. And uh, so Jesus comes to this place in Samaria. He sends his disciples off to get some food. And uh, he's sitting at the well. Famous story. This lady comes up to him and he, Jesus starts talking to him. So Jesus, sorry, Jesus starts talking to her. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And he has this moment and there's this incredible stuff that we can learn through this passage. Jesus starts to talk in a supernatural way. First of all, he says, listen, can you get me some water? And then she, she comes, I don't know this or whatever, and she starts having this conversation. And Jesus says, well, if you knew who was standing in front of you, you would say you'd accept this water because there's this, this supernatural water that I want to give you. So, and then she responds in a natural way. And how much of our lives does that happen where Jesus comes and he speaks in a supernatural way to us? But we are so focused on living on this plane, on the earthly plane, that we miss what God is saying. And this chick kept missing what, what Jesus, sorry, this girl This girl (laughs) kept missing what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying this, there's living water, there's hope, there's salvation. It's not about where you worship, it's about who you worship, etc., etc. She keeps missing it and she keeps bringing almost a religious answer. And then eventually Jesus breaks through, prophesies over her, tells her everything about her past and just speaks about her future, that he loves her. And then it comes to this verse in 21, 4 verse 21. It says, woman, so girl. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So Jesus was saying, listen, we're not saying that neither of those places is where the worship is going to take place. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Firstly, worship is not about a place, it's about a person. Jesus is prophesying and he says the time is coming when he's going to obviously die, get resurrected, the Holy Spirit's going to come, God's going to dwell with us. He says there's a time that is, that is coming and has now come because Jesus, God incarnate, God himself was standing in front of this woman 
And that's why he says, if you knew who was standing in front of you, you would ask for salvation. You'd ask for the living water that never runs dry. God is not confined to a place with our worship. So it's, it's why we can worship absolutely anywhere at any time because God is spirit and he is around us and he is with us. He's omnipotent. He's, he's omnipresent. He's, he's always with us all the time. And I think that is one of the greatest revelations that Jesus brought. And then obviously with him being resurrected, leaving the Holy Spirit, God dwells with us. We're singing that today. Verse 23, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, can everyone say true worshipers? A bit louder than that. That's... <laughs> we'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So there's a few things happening. You've got true worshipers, what they look like, and it's, it says that it's in spirit and in truth. The reason it's in spirit, because, and I love the teaching that Jesus has, it says God is spirit. So whatever your picture of God and what he is, he's spirit. And we relate to God from spirit to spirit. John 3, 6 says that flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. That's why we have to be born again and made new so we can become this holy nation that worships Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 9, that, that, that shows and, and ex, ex, exalts him and shows the excellencies of who he is. In truth, and if you look at the translation of that, it means genuineness. It means we worship what we know. We worship a God that came and dwelt with us. The, the only religion on this planet where God bowed down to man, not bowed down to us, but bowed and came to earth and lived amongst us was this God incarnate, God, God with us, God who walked amongst us, felt our pain, felt the tragedy of life, and was able to carry on moving forward. God, verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The word, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. And it means, I don't want to get this wrong, it means to bow down in adoration. So this is actually what worship looks like. Whether it's on your knees, on your face, it's, it's showing that God is above me, He knows more than me, He is in charge. If you look at what it meant actually in the Greek, where am I? It means to kiss reverently. Worship means to kiss the king of the, of the universe. It means we bow down and we, 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 in that moment, what Rams was saying, that the moment of crying out, God is there. He places you in situations. And some of you have not given your life to Jesus and he's just calling you this morning. He's saying, if you just, it's simple as this. I will follow you, Jesus. I believe in you. Acts 16, can we turn there? I'm just going to talk a little bit about how this actually outworks in our lives. Acts 16. It should be behind me. And at about midnight, I just added a bit there, <laughs> Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners who were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Let me just give you a little bit of context here. Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas go into uh, Lystra and Derby, which is uh, on their kind of missionary trip. And there's this, this lady that has a demon that keeps kind of uh, taunting Paul and Silas. And it happens for a few days. Eventually, Paul just turns around, rebukes her. 
And because he rebukes her, sorry, he rebukes the spirit in her, the spirit leaves her, and she used to practice divination, so she used to be able to tell people's futures. Now, the, the, the owners who owned that slave girl were upset with Paul, and that's how they got thrown in prison. So, for me, when we start to see the kingdom of God break in, there's got to be opposition. No one likes it when truth and the kingdom of God <laughs> breaks in. It says, um, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Um, let's go to verse 31. And they said, uh, Okay. Verse 30, I only missed out one. <laughs> then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Verse 35. It says, but when, he was at, when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported the words to Paul saying to the magistrates, the magistrates have sent uh, to you to let us go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Anyway, Paul starts and says, listen, they must come and fetch me, etc. But I want to just talk about a few principles. You can take that off. Thanks. I want to talk about a few principles about what happens when we praise and worship. The first thing Paul and Silas, you can take notes if you want to, is they praised despite their situation. These guys were stuck in jail. And it's amazing, that's why I read that verse 35, because it says that the next day they were let out. So God could have let them out before, but he actually only let them out the day after. So they'd already been whipped. They'd already been caned and uh, kind of beaten publicly, been thrown in jail. They, didn't, they weren't sitting there and go, oh, we're innocent, woe is me, look at my situation, things are looking so bad. They praised despite the situation. And I think the greatest thing we can do as a human being is that when things are going tough, we learn how to worship Jesus. It's easier said than done. When there's moments of great tragedy in our lives, where do we turn to? If there's moments where things are not going our way, where do we turn to? I think this is also Bill Johnson. He says, we are shaped for an eternal role in how we respond now. There's our future. And I believe that there's moments where God is looking and he'll bring you maybe back to that same moment where in that moment where there's stuff that it may not even be a tragedy. It may just be stuff that's going on with work and there's tough time and your boss is against you, you've been fired or whatever. And those are big things. And God's looking and saying, how are you going to respond in this moment? Because I believe our response in a moment sets us up for victory into the future. I believe in sowing and reaping. I believe that as we do stuff now, we, are, we can be sure the Bible says that we're going to reap a harvest. And I want to be sure that my responses, and I haven't got this right all the time, and none of us will, but can we be sure that our responses are always, God, I bow my knee. I don't understand. I don't understand what I'm walking through. I don't understand the pain that I'm feeling, God, but I trust you. Something starts to happen in our lives in that moment. The most meaningful worship 
happens when there is sacrifice. Worship in itself is a sacrifice because it's not at all about me. It's about, it's about laying our hearts before Jesus. And that's why we put such an important uh, emphasis on a Friday. It's, it's not the, the main thing about being Christian, but it's a pretty big part because our Friday meetings is that moment in the week where it's not just sticking on a Hillsong uh, thing, uh, iTunes on your car, whatever it is, where you're listening to worship music in the background. It's a moment where we are uninhibited uh, and selflessly praising the King of Kings together in unity. Something powerful happens. The second thing that happens is that praise brings breakthrough. There's a lineage, uh, and it just happened to work like this in the Bible, but I think there's something prophetic about that. Uh, 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 Judah means praise. He gave birth to a son called Perez, which means break out or breakthrough. And I think there's something powerful that happens when we start to worship God, we start to see breakthrough in our lives. And this is clear what happens. The, the, the doors were open, there's an earthquake, there's, there's power. Some of you are facing that you maybe even feel like you're in a jail and you're trapped at the moment. Can I encourage you that the only thing that's going to get you out of that is praise? That's why we have times of worship, not, like I said, to warm us up for later, but it's so we can see and experience the breakthrough of God Sometimes in a moment, sometimes it's, it's delayed, but it comes. There's breakthrough coming. 2 Chronicles 20. I'm not going to read all of it, but there's this, there's this incredible moment where King Jehoshaphat is, uh, is faced in verse 2. It says, And some of the people came to, and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom and the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazazon Tamar. So basically, down the road, there's a massive army. And it's obviously causing panic across Israel. And uh, I love his, his um, well, first of all, he says alarmed, which is, I suppose, if, if there's an army coming against any of us, we'd be alarmed. So that's kind of a bit of an understatement there. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And can I say, when things, when you can see the enemy wants to do something against someone or in your life, the best thing you can do is inquire of the Lord. Because he knows it's coming and he wants to stand with you and fight with you. 2 Chronicles 20, 12, it says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I can't even tell you how many times in my life I've probably prayed that in some way or the other. Leading this church, God, we faced with a massive opposition. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And can I tell you that somehow God works it out. Sometimes we just need to um, put our minds aside and, and connect to God's spirit to spirit and say, God, I don't understand all of this stuff, but I trust you in this moment because I trust you're going to do something. God works out all things for the good of those who love them. Verse 21 says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out ahead of the army, it says, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. This is the key here. Verse 22. As they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites, the Moabites, rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. So just this confusion that 
comes ahead of them. God sets an ambush. When the men of Judah, which is the good guys, came to the place that overlooks the deserts and they looked at the vast army, they only saw dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. This is the first time we see that when worshipers are sent out in front. It kind of happened when they went and they were taking, in Joshua, when they were taking the city of Jericho. But this is a moment where, where the strategy for defeating the enemy is to send out the worshipers. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there's, there's some that are going through really tough situations right now. You feel there's a vast army coming against you. The only response we need is Jesus. We're going to worship you in the splendor of, of his holiness. We're going to bring Jesus before you, before our, before our eyes. We're going to exalt him. We're going to magnify him. We're going to make him larger. And often praise in the songs we sing is not so God can come. It's so we can remind ourselves of who he is and how powerful he actually is. And I, I love the moment where they just, everything is obliterated. God goes ahead and fights for us. There's a friend of mine who's going to be at our worship conference, Sean Foyt. Foyt, get it wrong every time. And uh, I think I've shared, may have shared the story at, at a leaders meeting, but he, he goes into Iraq and he stands on the side of where the Kurdish army is and he just goes and loves them and they, they kind of take up offerings and they give them stuff and they give them food. And one of the most powerful things he does there is he goes and worships over the land. And as he starts to worship, there's, there's moments where he's on the Kurdish side and they start to worship where ISIS actually starts to get defeated and gets pushed back. And I, I just, I thought Bruce and I were listening to this at, when he was speaking at a worship conference recently and we're like, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing. And I, in that moment, I wrote down on my phone, I said, one of the most powerful things we can do as an expat community in this land is learn how to worship Jesus in the splendor of his holiness. Because as we start to do that, we start to see his kingdom come on earth. That's an amazing thing where he just, and it's got to the point now where Sean gets called by the generals of the Kurdish and the different armies. And they said, listen, we need, we need Christian worship. These are Muslim men. We need Christian worship leaders to come and stand in front and worship because something happens every time you guys worship. And I want us to know that it's not just about the worship team trying to lead us into a place, but something happens when we worship. It causes salvation. The jailer and his whole family get saved. Praise and worship brings presence, God's presence, into situations. We need the life-giving presence of God. There's moments in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 5.13, uh, it just speaks about that the, the priests were unable to do their duty because the cloud, they were singing, and the presence of God came so thick that they had to just bow their knee to Him. I long for days like that. We worship God where the veil has been taken away. We worship God with the, with the presence of God we can access freely through the blood of Jesus. Amazing. Can we all stand and worship team? It would be awesome if you could come. And we're going to sing a couple of songs just because I feel like it's going to set us up. Just while they're coming up, I'm going to read this verse to you. To, uh, Mark 12, verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I think Jesus was trying to say something there. It wasn't, 
It wasn't a half-hearted thing when we approached the King of Kings. It's, abs- it's, it's every part of us engaged. And it says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think our worship is most effective when we are in unity with one another. It even says in Matthew 5 that if you go to a place of worship and you need to take your offering, but you've got a grudge against a, uh, you have a grudge of, against a friend, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to that friend, make things right, only then come back and work things out with God. And I think there's a moment in our lives where we can just say, do not, if I need to sort out things before I come to the altar. It says we must worship God with everything. Now, I've got a few words. You guys can start playing. That'll be awesome. And I wanted to just show these because I think sometimes we can, in a, in a, in a Western culture, we can just get, get stuck in a certain way of worship. It may just be hands raised. It may not even be. Some of you may be uncomfortable with that. I, I want to encourage you that something powerful happens when we raise our hands. It's surrendering God, but it's also opening ourselves up to Him. To come Him, the King of the universe, to come and work in our lives. There's a few Hebrew words for, for praise. One is yada, means to extend the hand. Can everyone just do this? That's praise. I don't know why, but it's praise. The other one is toda, which means an extension of hand again. Halal, where we get hallelujah, it means to, to, to be clear, to shine, to boast, to celebrate. And it actually means to be clamorously foolish. It's biblical to dance before the king. David did it. When the presence of God was being brought uh, in, into his kingdom, he danced before it. And his, and his wife comes up to him of the time and just says, listen, you embarrassed me. He says, I'll become even more undignified. Shabbat. I'm probably getting these words horribly wrong. To address in a loud tone. That's why we love loud music. If you struggle, earplugs. Now, we don't put it too loud, but we are aware of everyone. Zamar means to touch the strings. Don't worry, I won't get Bruce to do anything. Um, and then Tahila means to sing. And this is the part where, if you look at it, it says, God is enthroned on the praises of our people. So if we, if we just picture that, that as we start to praise, we almost build a throne for God to come and dwell and, and visit us and meet us. So I wanna, we're going to sing a couple of songs now, and I've intentionally left a few songs at the end because this is not a moment to, to be introspective. God, woe is me. It's about the King. Despite anything, we're going to worship Jesus. David writes and says, if it doesn't cost me, I don't want to worship. So can we worship together? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you bring change as we start to exalt you and as we start to worship you, Father. We honor you, Lord, in this place. Amen.